Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Attaching it to the new music is going to sound really good. Oh, wonderful, Um, wonderful. I love it. I love it. That's perfect. Yeah. That's wonderful. Uh, Vanjie's got the perfect voice, and I like the music. I've always loved It Is Well With My Soul. Absolutely, yeah. I just think it's good theology. And it- oh, I like that. I like that. I think that's uh, that's a lot better. Hey, I'm here with Jason, and today we are celebrating 500 podcasts that we've put out. And we've got a lot of things that we've covered, but take places that we're going. One of the things that we're talking about, explain, Jason, the new uh, the new music and intro. A good friend of mine who's a talented musician, we asked him if he would record music for us. The music that we've been using is free music that you can get from online, but uh, it wasn't ours, and this is a little closer, is going to represent more of a signature for our podcast. Since we're at 500, hopefully by now we've kind of got it down as how to how to do this. Oh, we're professionals uh, now. We we <laughs> basically got our own little recording studio now. So. Yes. Yeah. No, it is well with my soul. I like the uh, that has to be one of my favorite hymns. I like it because I think the song articulates the idea of. Uh, of course, the song has the. There's a background. The uh, writer, if I understand correctly, lost his family. Was uh, dealing with grief. Uh, I don't think that the song says god uh, has caused this to happen and yet it says when uh, peace like a river attends my way when sorrows like sea billows roll no matter my lot you have taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul and that i think is very a very christian idea it's not saying god has caused this to happen it's saying that it is well i i will go on in this suffering with god because that's the was that's what god did that's the message of the cross is um i think that's that's the message from the prayer in in gethsemane please lord take this cup from me but nevertheless not my will but your will be done so uh, it's well with me this we will all go through this which is uh, not exactly the thing most of us want to say it's not something i'm real good at saying it's not a it's not a theodicy it's not saying oh i got this explained but it's saying that god i understand god is with me in the midst of the suffering Um, yeah yeah that's it that's it and it's there's an eschatological piece in the last verse too um and lord hastes the day when my faith shall be shall be sight and looks forward to the return of christ it's just there's some good theology to that song and it's pretty yeah yeah there's a lot to be said for for pretty as is banji and her lovely voice uh introducing it yeah she does have a lovely voice my friend eli pasco recorded that for us last year and um it's it was in december he got the final file to us that's taken me this long to to make the time to get the outro and the intro but yeah really grateful for that so 500 what's it feel like i mean when you started this thing you had i i'm i'm not sure that the word podcast was a part of your vocabulary <laughs> was it i thought that was something that yeah you go out and pick the pod 
on the tree and you cast them. I, I wasn't he's, quite he's clear <laughs> what that was. Uh, I have an old lady I swim with and, and she, she gets the blogs, podcasts, or she just runs it all together and said, now are you going to be writing a podcast? That's sort of where I was. Yeah. Uh, how many five years that we've been at this. If you trace it, you know, you can go back to the old podcast. You were doing everything. Which, by the way, was a lovely arrangement, can I point out? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, you, uh, you picked up a lot of skills along the way. Like, uh, yeah, we were, Frank was doing a lot of the internet work. Um, yeah. And he still does, does private, he does a lot of the internet stuff. I was helping to produce the files. You picked up that piece you just pick up these skills right i mean oh it says yeah. a lot about the te technology though i think that you can you don't have to be in a studio somewhere you can do it with your computer if you want to hear the evolution of it i can tell you exactly the podcast that you guys turned over and you said okay editing's up to you <laughs> uh, and I had no idea what I was doing. And actually, it was an interview I did with Scott McMay. And I feel so bad about it because it's still up if you want to go hear it. I didn't know, well, I didn't know anything. And so I didn't know how to undo an edit that I had made. And so I'm afraid it's just real choppy. I, I have no idea. If, I always said to Scott, I feel bad that I did that. And he's never done another podcast with me. So I, <laughs> <laughs> well yeah yeah you learn quick the the first time you there was one that we did early on i tried to interview somebody out in in idaho and our sound quality was so bad i, I didn't I know what i was doing when i recorded it i felt bad about trying to ask him to record it again mm. and um we we ran it but i i was embarrassed by the the sound quality but you know, we learned a lot about trying to use decent microphones and um, having a decent connection and which programs were the best to record oh, with. Oh, yeah, I got a real mic now. I remember the, all of the early podcasts, I had a little handheld recorder. I was carrying that everywhere. And I remember I invited a guy. I said, well, would you want to do a podcast with me? And I think he must have had it. So he came over to the house. And I pulled out my little handheld recorder and I could just see his face drop, you know, like, oh no, this is all, <laughs> this is what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty raw stuff, that, but we got 500 of them. I mean, the number is pretty big. Well, you know, the, I, I feel pretty good about, to me, it's quite an accomplishment. I think it says a lot about what, what we started out with. I feel like there's also been a progression uh, between that and, and PBI, the Bible Institute, some of the early stuff we, we built and some of the early recordings, you know, the first time you you record a lesson to your computer and you're not looking at a classroom of students, you're just looking at yourself or your presentation on the computer. It's so hard. It can be hard to have the kind of energy that you need to produce uh, an engaging video <laughs> those first couple times i remember and you even even said it i, I feel like uh, i'm deadpanning here that there's not much oh, yeah. energy to it 
but you know, after a while you get used to it. And I think that there's, if, if I had to be honest, I feel like where we were all at emotionally and spiritually, when this thing started, we were all coming off of some pretty major disappointments, betrayals, you know, and that stuff still shapes a lot of the content. I think rightly we're still reflecting on those events but i i feel like there's um the progression of the way we've done things has shifted or has has grown i should say Mm -hmm. as we've moved past that you know and and it's it's grown into its own thing i think so i hope so yeah yeah i don't suppose the one just sets out to do this sort of thing because it's so outside of any you know, realm, but having been put in a place to do it, uh, it's just a delight. And then as we've seen response from people in India, in Japan, New Zealand, New Zealand, Mexico. Yeah. Mexico got, Um, we got followers in France and Norway. And so it's always amazing, you know, the, the people that, and then eventually you hear from some of these people and you realize, Oh, actually somebody's out there. They're, they're listening and uh, and the, they're finding it helpful. Uh, that makes it highly rewarding. Yeah. I, I remember when we first started and we were talking about the classes and I was trying to warn you because I had done online education quite a bit um, and you had done primarily traditional um, education, which the nice thing about the traditional classroom is that all the energy is right there in a the room. So uh, whether it's positive or negative energy, you can kind of feed on it and, and you can, you know, you get feedback from an audience, right? That, that, right. Immediate. that it's immediate. Right. And I always feel that is energy that if people are paying attention, if I can tell they're engaged or even if they're just really upset about what you're saying, then there's something there that you're interacting with. It's just very different. And I remember trying to, trying to um, prepare you for that when you're doing it online, even if you're doing it in a synchronous environment, I told somebody that worked the other day, I was doing a presentation and it was on Microsoft teams. It's kind of like zoom here, which we're using right now. We got done and, and she said, you did a really good job. And I said, I'm, I'm starting to get used to doing presentations to lots of little boxes of people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's a certain amount of energy that's not there. And when I remember uh, preparing you, trying to prepare you for that. And I don't think there is a way it changes the way you, you go about absolutely doing this. And you, and you start thinking, what am I doing? How is this helpful? You don't get that initial feedback. You get it maybe years later yeah. when somebody stumbles across this and goes, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. this is helpful. And yeah. you know, they may assume that you had uh, a room full of people that you were talking to. Yeah. But it's it's like a different kind of sometimes can be a very long delay before you get any sense of oh I t- I spoke to somebody yeah <laughs> it yeah, wasn't just yeah. me talking to myself yeah and especially with me because even in the classroom teaching was always very dialectic I just needed the response we've done as we've done some podcasts of dialogue together well that I enjoy that. So we've got I th- over 50,000 downloads, whatever that might mean. Frank always tells me, you know, when I was first doing it, I said, well, there's 50,000 people. He said, no, that's not 50. 
Oh. Yeah, it uh, it could be fifty, but, uh, or <laughs> it could be one It could be a thousand. Um, <laughs> yeah, the but that's part of our of our approach too. Is when I was preaching through Matthew, we, we oh, I called it the mustard seed gospel. That we're not assuming we're out to to get five million people listening. We're I mean that'd be great. That's not the goal. We're, if anybody we're, gets something out of it and we're hearing from people, there you go. There's a kind of a, a community of people that I think that were feels a little, you know, disaffected, many of them from a traditional church. And I think we're able to name that and say why that is, what, what that is about, and to speak to people and feel like, oh, I'm not alone in this thing. Yeah, this message isn't going to be, it's inherently not popular. We do see it appealing to the people who have been burnt out. Because for it to be popular, for it to appeal to the the great masses, it, it usually has to use a power structure that that grinds up people. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know we've been ground up by it. I think that it's similar to the way um, the kinds of people that were attracted to Jesus' message. It wasn't usually the people that were. Um, at the top of these structures, they were the ones that didn't like it. It was the people that had been used up by the structures, the sick and the, the lame and the, yeah, the yeah. people that had been outcast from society. They, they had a tendency to look at the gospel message and say, boy, this, this sounds really good. If you've bought into what the masses tend to have bought into, then this is a, usually going to be the thing that really appeals at several levels, and then, uh, even this recent class, as we've been talking about it, that you know, literally, people are being people's lives are sacrificed in nationalism yeah. and in these systems. That uh, it is kind of like trying to catch a few before the in, in a sacrificial system that is just chewing people up, and uh, it's hard to because the the narrative and even the the religious, you know, what they're taking to be the Christian understanding. Uh, is one in which they would sacrifice for the nation state. They would do all the things that in the end are highly destructive. And so it, it's a strange thing to say, but, but and I, I'm saying this from personal experience, I don't know that in my, uh, you know, being raised as a Christian, I'd ever come across even people that talked about a peaceable kingdom or a nonviolent Christianity or a nonviolent atonement. I think that's a, a, a beautiful thing that, you know, we're not alone in this, that there is a community of people. There's people that realize that, hey, this thing is uh, perverse in, in what it's teaching. been thinking about this lately, kind of, it's it's hitting me, but I haven't really chased it down lately. But I, I've worried that it seems like we've relied on technology so much. There's a community piece that, that we don't get to experience anymore. And that this movement, Shares and some of the other, there's a lot of actually groups out there that are doing similar things. And we're starting to interact with them more. Um, I noticed that you're interacting with a gentleman on uh, social media who commented on one of the pieces the other day that he's also interacting with Brad Jerzak and, and some of those folks. So there's that I'm noticing some of these communities that are, doing and saying things that are similar are starting to connect a little bit, but it's been primarily um, expressed through social media and through 
uh, electronic means. And I've worried about that, you know, being a Wendell Berry reader who's you know, very much about local community and, and barbershops and local stores and farms. But I've been thinking that in a way that the original in the first century Christianity was really made possible, I don't say made possible, really emphasized or really grew through the new technology, the new roads, the new mails, letter system, which is really just people using the roads to carry letters from place to place. But that was very sparse, small groups of people in these different places who were communicated to by this new way of of getting messages around yeah yeah it was the fullness of the times and it was linguistic it was political as you're describing it just the logistics became a, a possibility maybe where they hadn't been i think we can talk about community you know we we you and i and of course the whole thing has we kind of rooted we all came together here i always loved my first meeting with you outside of el el vaquero here in town and you I had no idea who you were. <laughs> you came up to me in the parking lot and said, oh, I hear you do open theology. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, who are you? <laughs> Subtlety's never been a strong suit of mine, so I just kind of jumped right in. But that was uh, no, that was lovely. I thought, oh, this has got to be a good place if that's the, the greeting in town. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I assume that that was unique because that, that you do bring that up every now and then. No, so I, I assume that no, that's not nobody the never happened reading. again. You were the only, <laughs> you were the only one. Uh, but I think that we did begin here, and not that it, it's almost like we've come full circle. One of the things that we had early on, we'd start to do a little group of us here started to study Romans together. And actually, I was traveling down to a church, and a group of young people were going down with me, and they were just kind of following me down there. And then they said, well, wait a minute, you're ending the study? And they said, why don't we continue? And I said, okay. And so we did. We continued to study here at the house. And a little group of people, community here, about a dozen people that we met for, you know, five years until the COVID hit. And But it was out of that, then, that all of this sprang. Uh, you know, you're the perfect person. I give you a vague idea, and suddenly you put flesh on it. And you said, oh, yeah, I know exactly how we could do that. Oh, you do? <laughs> I have no idea. It's kind of, it's kind of scary, right? Because all of a sudden, <laughs> it's something we got to try. Yeah, that's the, that's the uh, so I, I had only the vaguest notion and, you, you know, you put together the PBI, you wrote a catalog, you said, oh, this is, uh, wow, <laughs> you know, and you know how to do it. You know, Frank, and it wasn't I asked anybody, Frank came and said, oh, yeah, I could, uh, I could set up the, all the uh, website platform for you. And see, I don't even know the language yet, what all he's, he does for us. <laughs> he set up the, the website and, and uh, there, it's got to be hosted somewhere and, you know, that information's got to exist somewhere so people so we can publish it but uh yeah frank frank's skill set is so far beyond mine that i uh, i couldn't tell you how grateful i am for for frank what he's built for us i couldn't have done people came together realizing how uh, incompetent i am 
God. Yeah, you always talk about this, and I've I've worked with faculty at s- several institutions now, and you pick things up pretty good. Uh, I, you're not, you're not the one that I'm really worried about. <laughs> oh, I compare well, do I? Oh, you compare well. <laughs> now you pick things up pretty pretty well. Um, there's some others I've worked with. I thought I don't think this guy's gonna make. It. But, so I think yeah. the Romans class, we did that. And then we, uh, yeah, I think the one of the first classes, you know, we did the uh, theology course. And it, as we kind of the practice, and I, is that we kind of do things together. We're teaching a course, we're doing lessons here, or, you know, the even my sermons have followed the, the blogs and the podcasts. So they've all kind of followed themes. I don't know how, how many courses have we taught. We, but I think we've got twelve or thirteen that we've by now courses that we've built. You're running one again, and because we've got a group that is basically starting a different one of our courses again, um, we've got a couple more to write. I think we've got three more in the catalog that we haven't done yet that we'd scheduled. We may revise that catalog next year. I think this Kirk catalog is supposed to go through this year, but we may revise that and make some adjustments based on some of the things that we've learned yeah um the new project that i'm i'm pretty excited about um and we can maybe this is a good time to sort of talk about this idea Uh, where i work i work for a state university here in georgia our department builds uh, faculty development for online learning we build a lot of training for our faculty and one of the ways that we one of our more successful approaches is developing micro learning units stackable micro learning units i've been kind of thinking about this for a while and, and you and i've been talking about for a couple weeks now we're going to start building some micro learning pieces ourselves that would be five six minute videos that would stack on each other that you could take be completely self-guided um, and then offer digital badging for it so if you'd like to take this and learn a little bit about this uh, atonement model this idea of what 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 it is that jesus was doing um, these will be sort of brief things that folks can take on their own look at on their own and uh, we'll publish there'll be a couple of different ways you can view them maybe we'll also basically be good introduction material for the course if you decide oh this is interesting maybe i would like to take this class I think these are are going to be a good addition to what we're doing. We've found some some ways that we can produce them that will be uh, hyper engaging. Um, a couple platforms that we'll be able to use. They'll be hyper engaging. We'll be using. Um, not sure she under she knows it yet, but we'll be using Miss Fangie's uh, lovely voice. You might you better tell her at some point. Tell her. But uh, I might have mentioned. I think they're, they're going to be fun. I think they'll be a nice addition to what we're doing. And it just is, it'll be just another way that we're watching this thing grow into something that can reach more, reach out in different ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I sent you the first transcript. And I, yeah, I, yeah. I was trying as I was writing this, I, was, I had in mind those little videos, you know, where the people are drawn and, you know, things are moving fast. And I was, I was trying to write... <laughs> Yeah, with, with the with that in mind, but 
is such a slick system. I mean, you can learn uh, so quickly, I think. So yeah, I just think it's a fabulous idea. Those will be coming out. I'm, I'm, I believe that we'll probably be able to have our first set of them produced in a month or so, or at least the first few produced in a month or so. We've got to do some, decide uh, which, we're going to invest a little bit, a little bit of uh, capital, we'll use capitalistic language there, but um, send in your checks in your dollars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But that, you know, that's something else I will say. We have had folks uh, d- donate, but it's never, the message has never been a begging for money kind of thing. We've, we've really been blessed with some generous folks that have helped keep it afloat and have Absolutely. Absolutely. supported you all. And yeah. Um, yeah. No, I never wanted to make it about, uh, even the classes, we've got a, a minimal fee, but if somebody's not able, I just, I, I, the, the money part of it, I never wanted that to stand in anybody's way. And, you know, that's part of the problem, I think, with the seminary education, Bible education, is that, you know, that you're going into such huge debt. And I think part of the thing, I, I think that we're offering a higher, well, I know we're offering higher quality for so many Bible colleges and seminaries just in the focus of the content. So I literally, I really think you can get a, a, an equivalent and much better. So many of my students, I, I felt a little complicit in that, that as long as I work for a traditional institution, uh, I got students that just are that have mounting unheard of debt from getting an education that I think should just be available and hopefully we're, we're filling that role. You know, early on, we wrote pieces about uh, Christian education. The problem is, again, where you're dealing with power structures that require a sacrifice. That's the tension of trying to do that where you build brick and mortar. I think it's the problem that happens with churches. As soon as it's an institution, then it relies on a violent uh, exploitation or exploitative approach you know I, there's a there's an argument to be made that um, people that are going to do ministry are going to end are going to have to be able to make a living but by tying that to current economic structures then you've then you've taken away some of the things that make it inherently christian yeah you know even uh, when i was contemplating i did i didn't necessarily want to go to seminary but I, so I approached my preacher in the local church and I said, uh, you know, would you be willing to just take me on? And he, he was a guy, he had a PhD, he was quite capable. Uh, why do I need to go anywhere? And he wasn't willing to do it. It just wasn't, it's, it's a model, I think, that people that were so used to having some sort of official criteria. And of course, those of us who have been into the accrediting, you realize the more that that's stacked in there, it, it has nothing to do with, or almost nothing. It just becomes a institution. And of course, if you're in an institution, everybody wants to be at the top. <laughs> they want, they don't want to teach. And so it's kind of odd that the, in a, in an actual institution, that it turns out that the low people on the totem pole are actually the people in the, very often in the classroom and uh, that that gets uh, underemphasized. And my thought is, well, that's the only thing that matters. Everything else is uh, actually unnecessary. I hope we've chopped it down so that, well, here's the content and it's there and available for anybody that wants it. 
the issue with education, and this is after work, and um, well, let's see, I started teaching at an institution in 2008, but I started working in a college in 2005, so it's 16, 17 years of higher ed experience. Part of the issue is that in order for the Department of Education to be able to justify funding a person going to school, then they have to know, and, and because it's largely for profit. I say that because even the nonprofit, you know, most educational institutions are technically nonprofit, but the student loan system is not, as much as they may argue otherwise. But those are private lenders. In order for them to be able to justify saying that you'll be able to repay these loans, that's what most of the whole process is. That's what accreditation largely becomes. Making yeah. well, accreditation largely is: are you, are you following the the guidelines that you set out? But they want to know that that your students are gonna are, are getting a round enough education that they'll be able to pay back loans. And so, a lot of what you end up doing isn't preparing you for a specific role; it's preparing you to pay back loans. So obviously, we're not that since it's not about the money we can say, you know, here's what we think is important to know about what it is to be a Christian. It really isn't a practical ministry degree either. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of what passes for a practical ministry degree is based on a, a specific economic philosophy about marketing, you know, how to market a product to consumers. And so a lot of folks are leaving seminary with degrees that are designed to make them savvy marketing managers instead of teachers what we're trying to do is our our goal in the, in the new intro you know we focus on discipleship our goal is we want to talk about what it means to be a follower of christ that's really I, that's what the new testament was all about yeah no i always appreciate dave that he is fairly typical i think that everybody that's taken classes with us mo most have graduate degrees which is <laughs> it's quite interesting They've been through seminary. Everybody has an undergraduate degree. We, we never said that, but maybe just... No, in fact, I was going to say the classes are are kind of a, assuming that you may come in with lots of education or you may come in with, you know, just whatever. I was thinking the class, we, we just now are, are offering a class in a, in a church, you know, so, but uh, up till now, it has been people who have been more or less through the system and seeing what that has to offer and said, that's not what I wanted. That you get a seminary degree right now and you can major in church growth. Well, the whole model is one, it is a business model of how to grow. A, and it works, I mean, you can do it. Given some basic uh, abilities and some tools, you too can be a mega church preacher. I guess that's the promise that's held out. It is a model that ironically has more or less taken over. And it, it, the interesting thing, of course, this is right out of the Christian churches, but now it's everywhere. It's nearly all the evangelical churches are doing it. But of course, what you see statistically, that as these institutions, these growth, church growth movement has taken a hold, that actual church attendance in this country has dropped from 75% to 45%. So we got bigger and bigger churches, more and more successful preachers with multi-campus work. 
I think is actually just even statistically to say nothing of the reality of people's lives is having a negative impact. And of course it's all a lie. You can't have every church can't be a mega church. (laughs) You can't have an unlimited number of unlimited sized churches on a limited planet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because the and that was i remember a a guy that i worked with at uh, private school this one wasn't a religious institution but he kind of had had been told his whole life about he'd been had this you know all your success is all based on your attitude and i had i had uh, applied for a promotion and and i knew that i was against a couple folks that were pretty uh, were as qualified or more qualified than i was I just kind of have tried to have a realistic view, and, but I thought I had a real shot. I remember him saying, so uh, are you excited about your interview? And I said, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm going to do pretty well. I feel prepared for an interview. And he said, well, you know, you're going to get this. And I said, well, Adam, I, I might get it. I said, I, I feel like I have as good a chance. Uh, I feel like I have a fair chance to get it. I said, but I don't know if I, if I will get it. There's a couple of other qualified candidates. He goes, well, not with that attitude, you won't get it. <laughs> So if you just have the right attitude, and I looked at him and I said, well, what if all three of us have the exact same attitude that we're all going to get it? <laughs> the bottom line is there was one position, there were three people interviewing and only one of us was going to get it. So, you know, the promise that we can all be CEO of the company is a lie. There's only one CEO and there's thousands of people that aren't the CEO of the company. And, uh, but that's the lie. That's the American lie that says that we all have the same chance uh, we can all be this. If we all just worked hard enough, we would all be CEOs of companies right. somewhere. For every CEO that there is, there's a bazillion people that aren't the CEO, and that's how that system works. Yeah. The the church growth model is that mindset. And right now, the guy that you have, that you, person that they brought into the college in your town, uh, is doing that same thing. They've got a graduate program that they're basing on that same mm-hmm. that same model. That is, everybody can be the megachurch preacher, but the, the that whole system is designed to run off other churches. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the growth thing. The growth model says everything has to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing, and it eats all around it, except as soon as it does, then there's nothing left to eat up around Yeah, it. yeah. It's the same principle that says, so oh, we're going we're gonna to go to Mars and start a new planet there. Somehow it's easier, it makes more sense to go to Mars than it does to just change the way we're living on this planet. <laughs> <To> stop. <laughs> that yeah. seem, it seems more realistic to go to Mars than it does to stop being a bunch of capitalists. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, always, capitalists. Uh, that's always Zizek's point. He says, you know, we can, uh, we can conceive of a multiple end-of-the-world scenarios in which a comet comes. But the one thing we can never conceive of is that capitalism in some way, would, if not ended, at least in some way mitigated by, yeah. Yeah, it's just inconceivable. <laughs> but would... yeah, people, they take capitalism so seriously that, they, that there's no other way to imagine church. That has co-opted, yeah, the, the church. And not just in the surface ways, but I think theologically. I mean, that's, that's what we're up against. That we often think that this this kind of power positive thinking or this pragmatism is something we can glue on to, uh, but actually it's seeped right into the very heart of Christianity, into the very heart of the theology. 
And I, you know, I felt this early on I, as a young Christian. I, it's one of my regrets, my great regrets, that no one, when I was 13, 14, boy, I would have been wide open to somebody coming along and pointing the way. There really, you know, our churches and even Bible college, it, it's not set up that way to disciple people in, in that fashion. I, I, very early on, I read The Power of Positive Thinking. And that, that's kind of what seeped in, you know, that is the religion of Donald Trump. That is the uh, evangelical ethos. It is capitalism all the way, all the way down, very to the very heart. That's it's dark. Just, it's <laughs> dark. But that's, that whole conversation, I think, stems out of us just realizing that, what, that the folks that have been most attracted to this, what we're doing, are folks that have been exploited by that. And that's exactly that. That's just a reiteration of the point from earlier is that the, the, in the gospel, it's the people that have been exploited by the political and religious and social power structures of the day. They were the ones that said, boy, this Jesus guy, we really like what he's saying. Um, but if you believe in this structure, then it's, then you're probably not going to, you're not going to get into it. And that, with that sort of our discussion with the Constantinian shift, that there was an ethos, a peaceable ethos. There was a culture that was there in the early church. But what Constantinianism meant in part, and I think even in a more aggravated sense now, is that sense of uh, the church or Christianity truly being an alternative culture. I think we've just lost that, that for the most mm -hmm. part, unless you've in some way the system has eaten you up. And then you realize, oh, that's what this whole thing is about anyway. Yeah. But we can meet outside the city. We don't need these power structures. In fact, it, it doesn't work. I don't know that you get the message of Jesus as long as you're striving to succeed in the city, that it is an outside of the city gate sort of understanding. Yeah, the way Vanjie said it one day, and I probably won't get this right, you know, somebody was saying, well, you, you shouldn't reject the church. And I think she turned and said, the church rejected me. <laughs> when you've been invited to leave several churches in a row, then you realize that maybe we've been asked to go outside the city. Um, and so I got another buddy that's, uh, uh, we've been talking quite a bit, and he's frustrated and discouraged by his church wanting to pull back all the COVID restrictions and and not wear masks and they've they're bringing guns to church and and he said i just don't this isn't my faith and he tried to express it and he was immediately asked not to volunteer anymore and and basically has been uninvited i'm not talking about being rude you know i i, I can be terribly rude just saying i don't think this is right you know, now he's, he and his wife, they're sweet people, you know, just great people. He's a great thinker, you know, now they feel homeless. That, that characterizes nearly everybody. We've got, uh, you know, so many homeless people in terms of the church, but I don't know that that's a terrible place to be, that I think that, that certainly people can work the, in the system and recognize it for what it is and stay there. But some people can't, and, I, and that's okay. I think that, that they need to recognize, yeah, there are whole communities of people. I mean, that the disaffection, the, the departure from church is a mass movement. And I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it, no. I see it primarily as a good thing. 
Yeah, he asked me uh, last week, my friend JD said, uh, so what do you do for sacraments when you're... And I said, well, uh, last week the lake was our sacrament. This this is not natural theology. I'm not suggesting I went out there to meet God when I couldn't meet him in my living room. And I certainly do feel this that there is a that we're supposed to be around the community. We're supposed to be with the community. I don't know that I'm I'm meeting the community of God at the church down the street, the building down the street. When it comes to the sacrament, I said, uh, he said, how's that working for you? I said, well, no one was lying to us when we were at the lake. We went to the lake and, and spent two hours there and no one manipulated us. No one was trying to get us to do something that they wanted us to do for some nefarious purpose. That's a relief. I've always held that when in Hebrews, when the, the author of Hebrews was writing to Christians, uh, Jewish Christians facing persecution, and for all of the deep theology that's there, that on a very practical level is saying, look, if you're going to be Christians, if you're going to be followers in this uh, world that's hostile to the message of Christ, you need each other. The command to not neglect meeting together was not because you are supposed to go take communion every Sunday or else you're going to hell, that it was about survival together uh, in a hostile world. Well, the, the most hostility I find to the message of Christ is, is, is in churches. And so now, now I feel like we're in a position where we have to escape from the churches in order to live out the message of Christ. I feel like you almost have to invert the passage now. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a very sad reality. I know one of our friends that we know who's, who's been involved with postures told me some weeks ago, he said, that seems very sad to me. And I said, trust me, I've cried a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, uh, I, I, I can't, because it seems sad, I can't continue to try investing in these institutions that are just gonna when i when i can tell in five minutes you and i have very different ideas about Mm -hmm. what all this is and i know where this is going yeah because i've i've done it too many times now i'm saying all this and i'm agreeing with you and of course i'm still in the but our little church out in the middle of the country in in which i preach and teach in other words, I, I think it's still doable, but what we're describing is a community of people. And I think that that's what is left out. You know, that's what's been lost. It was actually there, you know, in churches that there really was a community and it was a defining community. And in these, you know, the mall churches, you know, maybe in small groups or in some way, but you lose that. And with that, I think you lose you lose a, a theological understanding that recognizes that that peaceableness is something that you're not going to get in a mainstream culture in nationalism or in all. You're not going to get it if you're not going to get it in a structure that's built on a growth model. Yeah. On capital, because yeah. growth model is exploitative. Um, yeah. In a community, you see yourself, and this is, again, very Wendell Berry, but in a community, you see yourself as a giving member of the community, where each member gives and takes. But that's why Wendell Berry always uses the term membership, that uh, we're all members of one another. 
that's how communities work. And that's, and, and you see yourself as a member of the community, just like the squirrel that's sitting outside of my, of my yard. He's a member of the community. He has a role in the community and I have a role in the community. And my goal is to exploit this, this community for all it's worth. I, I give to the land. It gives to me, we take care of each other, but that's not the exploitative model. The exploitative model is to, take and take it from you weren't trying to attract people to it but it's based yeah. on growth capitalism which all it does is and if you want to see the the end of where capitalism goes then just watch a group of people play monopoly and see what happens at the end it never ends well they always um, hate it, you at the end because i always yeah, win when I- you always win <laughs> you were good at it um but that's the end of it. That's yeah. that's where all that's yeah. designed to go. The people that I know that are still able to do church that, that that think this way, usually are the folks who are to minister in the church who just have a, a enough of a enough of a say and enough of a have the right situation. I think of Dave and Alan and mm-hmm. and you know they're they're doing ministry but they're doing it different. Mm-hmm. Always recognizing that I don't know how long this will last or can last but i'm going to try and do something different yeah um but my experience having not been a preaching minister or place for a while is that if you're if you're going to go in and you want to be you want to talk about this kind of understanding of the gospel not going to happen yeah it's not going to happen i think that there is an integral part of the nature of the message and the format in which the message takes place and that form is the substance. Yeah, absolutely. If I had to boil down key things, I really like the uh, the topic that you've chosen for our first. What what do you call these micro micro learning? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I think it's uh, we'll we'll come up with a funky a fun little name for it: uh, stackable micro learnings. Um, or micro sessions or something like that. So you might as well be speaking in tongues as, as far as. <laughs> <laughs> I have no well, the Holy Spirit has brought it to me, you see. And so we're. Uh... Yes. Yes. But the idea of uh, atonement theory, I, for some reason that just seems front and center to what we're doing that, a that a nonviolent atonement, it does a lot of things, but you know, if you think of the first church, what were they doing when they were getting together? They were probably sharing a meal together. They were trying to, to resist getting getting killed. And, if, and in the persecution, they were supporting each other. In other words, they were a persecuted minority that were desperately hanging out with each other uh, in order to, to encourage one another in this thing of discipleship. What you get in a violent atonement is amenable to a kind of business model. That is that you can sell this thing, you could control it, whether it's the body of Christ in the Eucharist or whether it's the the body of the community, that in some way you're setting it up. It's a very different sort of thing. And so I think the idea of a a nonviolent atonement, it goes right to the heart of this. Why did Jesus come? What's he doing? Well, he's trying to deliver us from a death-dealing system. And unfortunately, the church is now complicit in this death-dealing system, in this thing that is eating people up and destroying their lives. And so if you can get the, the healing ministry of Jesus, that he's, he's bringing healing in the whole work of Christ, is a fulfillment of who he is 
as the great physician, that it is supposed to be a peaceable community in which we have peace with one another and peace within ourselves. But, but you don't need all that in a traditional atonement. It is, if it is penal substitution or divine satisfaction, you can uh, pay a price almost like you pay a, like Christ is paying a price for your ticket for admission. And it is all geared in that, in that kind of fashion. It's death dealing in that you, you pass out death rather than receive death. Your, your goal is to, is to avoid death in order to uh, you put somebody else on the cross in order to avoid death. And we were, I was in a conversation yesterday. We've been doing a discussion at work on uh, Ibram Kendi's anti-racism book. And the guy that leads it is uh, works for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at, at my university. Uh, it was close to the end of the discussion. I was pretty tired, but uh, I, I recognized that I was one of just a few, you know, cisgender white men, Christian men <laughs> in the in the group. And I said, you know, I, I very much appreciate a comment from an earlier conversation um, that uh, one of our other leaders brought up. I said the the problem is that um, the reason folks don't stand up don't make the stand for each other is that you have to give up some of your privilege uh, in order to stand with. It was kind of like uh, when George Floyd died, I, I wrote that I, I hope that if I am ever in the position to be near another George Floyd as he's being murdered, that I would have the courage to say, if you're going to kill somebody, that I would like you to kill me too. Um, because I don't want to stand by in my privilege while somebody else pays for that privilege with their life. That's the message, though, and I think the problem with religion is that there's religion is seeking a sense of comfort and a sense of security that I don't have to suffer. And the message of Jesus is, no, if we're willing to suffer for each other, that's how we reduce suffering in the world. Yeah, this is yeah. the solution is instead of and the, the, the search for security and safety and comfort is necessarily going to make someone else have to pay for that with their life or with their discomfort that's the problem there can only be one C one wildly successful ceo and everybody else has got to be a minion that's why i think paul um in first corinthians at the beginning recognizes that for the religious people and i think that's what he means by the jews here the jews who take comfort in this religious system the cross is a stumbling block they stumble over that. What? That doesn't make any sense. That's not, I don't want to die on a cross. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> right. And for the people that are seeking power and seeking notoriety, seeking fame, the Greeks, it's a complete foolishness. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who are being saved by it, it's the, it's the power of God. It's the real power. The cross, the message of the cross, the reason you put Jesus on it and say Jesus did it so you don't have to, is so you can turn it back into this a sacrificial religion that we do to make ourselves feel safe and secure, when in reality, the message of the cross is come and do this with me. That's what we want to get at in our micro-learning piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the, uh, the thing that we've experienced as a community. I don't want to embarrass you, but uh, the way that you were there for us that was so meaningful for us uh, at a time. You know, there's a time when uh, uh, you know what it's like uh, when people abandon you. It's sort of like guys that go through war together. 
you know, they, they experience an intimacy on the battlefield yeah. uh, that the that other relationships just don't compare. And I think that's what you're describing is that, well, as Christians, in some way, we've been through this, this thing, not a violent uh, resistance, but being violently attacked and standing with one another. Uh, that is a bond you never break. That it yeah. is just a level of fellowship with other people, a way of getting to know them. Everything else just becomes uh, a bit surface and trivial. Every time you're watching somebody else get run out and you keep your distance, it's a way of saying, I'm not going to risk being sacrificed with you. You are the sacrifice that is necessary for me to stay and be here. That's what Jesus, I think, experienced. That was the aloneness of the cross. I think that's what he was pointing at when he said, you know, you're going to deny that you even know me, Peter. And he was saying, and I think that the pain was there for all people. I think Peter had no idea what he meant. And yet Peter later realized that I did. And, and a lot of us have done that. We've, we've been Peter standing, you know, getting out of the way, you know, when you're, when it's coming for your friend, you know, when your friend's getting ready to get beat up by the bully and you go and you get, you walk away from him because you don't want to get in the bully's way, <laughs> but then you leave your friend alone. Yeah. And if you're going to get beaten up, then you'd rather have somebody have a friend there. I can't say that I've always been very good. At, I've stepped out of the way many times before and, and regretted it decided to not want to do that again and that is an atonement theory that's what we're describing that that's the peaceful atonement th theory but the thing is here's the thing it, it this is the irony of it a lot of folks think it doesn't look very peaceful a lot of folks are going to call that the opposite of peaceful mm -hmm. because then you you end up saying because to do it you have to say but the wrong is what's wrong you know killing people putting them on the cross is wrong. Well, that, that doesn't seem, seem very peaceful to the people that have bought into these exploitative structures. In doing so, in standing up for peace and dying and, and suffering with folks that are being crucified, then you're going to speak things to, you're, you're saying something about the crucifier. You're saying you're crucifying. And that was what happened at point my friend said that they they don't like the way you say things jason and I, I said well what's a good way to say what you're asking me to do is unethical yeah yeah there isn't one but unfortunately i could either say what you're asking me to do is unethical or i could participate in the unethical thing they asked me to do so they said but that's not peace well no it is <laughs> yeah to be peaceable in that understanding is that means you just be quiet yeah, you just go and that's not it. it. Yeah, and, and and Martin Luther King understood this very carefully. P quietness, p quietness is is complicity. Yeah, yeah. Silence is complicity. I had a, fr a friend that said, "I think that the prophets and that that is against what Jesus was about." And I said, "No, you're dead wrong, dead wrong. The prophets are. John the Baptist was doing peace, uh, yeah. shouting at Herod." was doing peace ezekiel and and hosea and jeremiah what they're saying and jeremiah is speaking out against uh the, the high priests 
boy, they don't like it. They say this isn't peaceful, but what they were doing was was going to kill a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so they put him in the stocks, um, and they could point out and say, look at how peaceful he wasn't being. No, he was advocating for peace. You are the ones that are not doing peace. So, yeah, saying nothing in the face of, of someone doing injustice is not peacefulness. That was when we, when I was first uh, putting this together and I contacted you about the name and you and Vanji, you know, and you immediately latched onto the idea of a verb that it's not simply the for, the plowshares are magically forming. It's that they're, you're doing this. It's something that you're active in doing, forging plowshares. And that's why it's named. That's why we called it what it is. It's not uh, passive, but it is an active engagement with the powers, I think. Yeah, I mean, the passage says they will, they will beat their swords into plowshares, right? And that was what it was looking forward to. Well, we believe that Jesus has already instituted uh, that time. Mm-hmm. And now our goal is to beat our swords in the plowshares. That's what we feel like we're supposed to be doing right now. That's why a lot of what we've done has involved putting a plow to the, to the earth, an actual plow to actual dirt to grow actual yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a huge part of it. It is an active thing, and it's, it's an active participation in the, in the body of peace. And, of course, how you, where you draw a line or how you do that, it's something that we're, we're continuing to explore. But hopefully we're putting things out there that are forging. They're forging, uh, maybe breaking new ground. Good. 500. 500. Done. Da, 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 da. <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. So, we'll, uh, so how long will it take to get to 1,000? <laughs> uh, well, if uh, probably longer than five years. You know, when we first started this, I was putting up three podcasts a day. I don't, I mean, three podcasts podcasts a week. No wonder we got so fast. So not a day, not a day. I was putting up a Bible study, uh, a sermon and then an interview. And I tend to be very obedient. You know, Frank said to me when we started, okay, this is what you need to do. This is your job every week. You need to write a blog and you need to put out these podcasts. A few years later, he said, you know, maybe, maybe, I think you can do two. That'll be okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, to have have a certain amount of information going out every week, yeah. But, yeah, I think think by now, uh, easy. Yeah, yeah. I can do two easy. I can do two easy. Just, uh, I, I, I love doing them. You know, we get together and we talk about how, how great it is that we've done 500. <laughs> and the next one, we'll talk about how amazing it is to do 501. <laughs> we got a theme that is unending. <laughs> Look at this. 503. Uh, yeah. No, it's a, uh, yeah. Considering that I didn't know what a podcast was about six years ago. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> to do 500 of them 
I wish there was a way. I remember that conversation now all of a sudden. I wish there was a way, you know, we could sort of share this out so that other people could listen to these conversations. We could do a podcast. We could shout out our window is what I was thinking. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> they do that? Is it on the radio? <laughs> what radio station will carry it? Uh, you know, years ago when uh, John Fuller, he, he said, you know, if you could just imagine your, your life, you know, uh, I said, and I had this image, you know, in a crude, non-technical image. I just thought, well, you know, I really would like to, to just have people, you know, where I don't leave the house. And maybe I'd just shout out the window, you know, maybe they'd have gathered out in the backyard and, and we'll have a class there. Well, it came true. It just <laughs> <laughs> well, there were people that were listening that were willing to help you make it come true, and uh, they were your last employers. So yeah. uh, they decided, let's yeah. help him make that dream come yeah. true. <laughs> yes, that uh, as Stan always says, you know, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I think it has. It's a, a goodness that's multiplied. In it is. It's a good one. All right. Thank you, Jason. It's been wonderful. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.